0: Hello everyone, welcome to the Faceless Fly Fishing and Upland podcast. As always, I'm your host, Timber Pringle, along with my partner, Darcy Toner. Our guest today is Sean Combs. He's the Director of Design and Development for Fish, Hunt, and Dog at Orvis. Today, Sean will share some of the -the behind-the-scenes processes that go into developing rods, reels, jackets, and bags, We will also talk about some of the new gear that we'll see released in the coming seasons and when we can expect to see the Helios 4 released. I want to thank our sponsors today that make this channel possible. Orvis, for all your fly fishing, upland hunting, and dog needs. Shop at orvis.com or at a fly shop near you. And Diamondback Truck Bed Covers. Protect your gear with the toughest truck bed cover on the market, and it looks great too.
1: All right, everyone. Uh, Welcome to the podcast. We're super happy to have Sean on the podcast today. Uh, Welcome, Sean.
2: Wow. Thanks for having me.
1: Yeah. um, So uh, where are you right now?
2: Uh, Right now I'm sitting in in my office at the corporate office of Orvis in Sunderland, Vermont. Um, Yeah, just kind of doing the daily grind here and excited to talk to you guys about all things Orvis and I guess me a little bit and, uh, fishing.
1: Yeah. Um, so what we normally do with our guests here is kind of ask them how they kind of got into fishing and like what their job is too as well and like how they got to that point. So, um, when did you start fishing, Sean?
2: I was 11 years old, uh, Darcy. I literally, I have an old brother. couple years older than me um my dad and mom growing up they ran a a hunting and fishing specialty shop in kentucky where i was born and we were fishing the bass pond and i was at 11 or whatever i was like here's a spinning rod and a bobber Uh, i won't call it an indicator it was a true red white bobber my brother um like much to my jealousy he was he graduated to a fly rod And he was using a little like cork popper, like a Betts or whatever, catching some small bass and bluegill. And my dad's like around the way. And all of a sudden you hear this like screeching, terrifying, like yelp. And my brother's like screaming. Uh, He hooked himself in the leg, uh, went to the hospital, had her hook removed. I got a fly rod the next day. (laughs) Um, Literally my brother now, uh, some whatever number years later, 30, 30 plus years later is really probably fly fish maybe six times, Uh, but that was my intro, and I, I, you know, basically I was a young kid with some bass ponds all around, and I had a mountain bike and a fly rod, and so kind of got way, way into it, Um, and I'd say it was one of the three things that sort of helped me make all my decisions in life. You know, it was, where am I going to work? Well, is it close to a place where I can go fish? Uh, where am I going to live? You know, that sort of stuff. And between fly fishing, skiing, mountain biking, uh, that's been pretty formative for me. But you know, if you fast forward through that, I um, I guess the bridge notes is that I went to school at the University of Louisville, got a master's in mechanical engineering, thought I was going to go off and work for a company making you know, like doing something cool, like uh, work for Rocky Mountain and make mountain bikes or or go to work for K2 skis and design skis. And, you know, uh, I ended up working for ExxonMobil and I sort of worked through a career uh, short at ExxonMobil, but then I went to a smaller, privately owned uh, oil and gas company. And then I found my way to the Northeast and worked for Lockheed Martin, where I was uh, working doing it's a long-winded way of saying it, but i was doing uh, support work at a department of energy laboratory that was responsible for nuclear propulsion for submarines and aircraft carriers and yes that gets old whenever i say that uh and then i was on an airplane flying home from utah to new york uh the guy sitting across from me was reading the drake mag uh, it was new, new edition, and and her issue, and I was asked to borrow it. Three months later, after like you know the short on the plane conversation, uh, he emailed me and asked me if I wanted to design fly rods for Orbis. and so that was about twelve years ago, and here I am.
1: That's crazy. <laughs> Chance encounter. Eh? Who was yeah. who was it on yeah, the plane? <laughs> So it was Steve Hemkins, uh, okay. who was
2: our vice president of fishing and, you know, all things fishing, uh, hunting, dog, the whole deal. So, yeah, it kind of was a, a life-changing moment. And I remember getting, like, the email. I think I was driving home from fishing and uh, or skiing or something like that. And, you know, I stopped somewhere, and I was, like, checking my email on my phone. And I remember just being, like, emailing right back, like, yes, when, now, I'm sure. <laughs> you
1: know, like, and then you moved like, to Vermont. Here's a rest. Were you in Vermont at yeah, that time?
2: Yeah, I moved. No, no, I was living in upstate New York. Um, I moved to Vermont, uh, started, started working on, uh, mainly focused on rods and reels, uh, which was awesome because, you know, I mean, we have our own rod shop here in Manchester, uh, which for me was like, here's some keys. Oh, by the way, it opens the candy shop. I mean, it's like you know, however you want to look at it, innovation lab, candy shop, uh, heritage, you know, like historical center of, we've been making rods for 166 years uh, in the same Valley in Vermont. Um, it's pretty awesome. It was like an overwhelming sensation when I first started and I still, I still, you know, kind of um, tear up talking about it, you know, just like how how fortunate and lucky I am to to work with that team and, and, you know, and to work with rods and reels. And and since then, I, uh, geez, you know, a few years after I started working, I sort of took on more responsibility. I was what they called the divisional merchandise manager uh, for for rod and tackle at the time. It was fishing, and hunting product. Uh, and then we, I think it was probably about six years ago, we made a decision internally to, to really focus on product and take the you know, take the, the sort of jack of all trades out of the equation. And we split up in two teams, a product development and design team, and then a merchandising team. And so I sort of handed off the merchandising aspects, which would be like the assortment planning and, you know, what picture are you going to put next to the Helios and the spread and the catalog and stuff like that. Um and, I think there are more creative, talented people that, that do that job now. And so that's allowed me to really just focus on uh, product in general. And I, I currently am the director of product design and development for fishing, hunting and dog categories. And I manage a a team of just super enthusiastic, passionate designers and developers that are a lot of fun to work with, um, you know, on all these, on all these cool things that we make.
1: Um so do you spend how close is the Rod Shop to the Orvis headquarters there? Is it close?
2: So the Rod Shop is about six miles from my house. Yeah. And it's about twelve miles from Corporate headquarters and it's conveniently kind of in between, right? Uh so on a on a given week, um, depending upon what programs we're working on. You know, I'll be down at the rod shop in the morning, um, typically, or an afternoon casting session if we're reviewing prototypes or some advanced concept, you know, rods or something like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I spend a good deal of time. I mean, a lot of people think, I think that they, you know, they hear, oh, you know, Sean works in rods that I'm on the floor cutting patterns and rolling them on mandrels and making blanks and stuff like that. Um, to be honest, I'm probably more of a, uh, a role in advanced concepts. I mean, we've got a super strong team at the rod shop. I mean, Don Swanson is the director of manufacturing. Uh, you know, he came to us from ABLE. He was the president there and he's, he's just completely turbocharged the capability for innovation and manufacturing, uh, there. And then another one that just comes to mind is Frank Hord, who is our, uh, you know, basically I would call him the rod wizard. Uh, You probably have never heard his name uh, perhaps, but he is, he's really my go-to counterpart at the rod shop where, you know, the team of us will talk through new designs, new taper strategies, new techniques, new construction and new material selection or whatever. And Frank is really the person who's who's instrumental in taking those ideas, solidifying them, and then building prototypes for evaluation. So that's, uh you know, and I'd say that I probably spend, uh, these days I probably spend um, somewhere around 20% of my time, you know, I'd say my my focus is on rods, but then, you know, I'm also fortunate enough to be like, hey, how do we make, uh, you know, reels? better or working with like somebody's like natalie on waders or jesse on packs and footwear and stuff like that mm-hmm. so
1: how long how long,
2: uh, it, it never,
1: how long does it take to to like from like concept to like when like the average uh fisherman can buy a rod like how long does that take like that whole process
2: yeah. So that's what we, it's re- a good question. And we refer to that as like ideation, you know, when the idea is born to commercialization, when, you know, when someone can walk into a store and buy it. And what we really are looking at is uh, for a program like Helios three, that was probably, it, I want to say it's probably 32 months, but it's really hard to put a date on the start because as soon as we sold the first Helios two, in 2000 and late 2012, we were already thinking like, okay, how do we make a better rod? Uh, so we have a, kind of a team that we refer to ourselves as just like the advanced concepts team. And 100% we're always, you know, new materials are on the market. Let's check them out uh, and evaluate them. But when the, when the rubber hits the road, Darcy, it's usually about a, I'd call it a, a firm 28 to 30 months which is insane, right? You know, it's like, well, <laughs> you know, you think like that's a lot of time. Are you guys just like, you know, make a rod, go out and cast it, and you know, whatever, but it's um it gets down to a pretty big crunch where you know, you have to essentially identify what you're trying to do. What are the project goals? What feature benefit set are you know, you're going to go after accuracy, you're going to go after making it lighter, stronger, you know, faster, slower. Uh, all of those things, you know, kind of come into that defining uh, phase and then uh, and then it comes down to the problem solving. And, you know, are there new techniques to analyze the rod? You know, we talk often about accuracy and you're probably like, oh, yeah, it's really accurate. You know, like I don't even know sometimes, but I just like I want to hit that spot and it just hits that spot. Right. Uh, there's a lot not, to, you go mean to just, make.
1: It- you mean it's not just me becoming a better it's, caster? It's all the rod or what?
2: <laughs> it's pretty much all yeah. <laughs> the ride. Not, not beating on you, but uh, no, I and mean, like literally, I, I love it um, because in a lot of other sports or industries, uh, typically the premium gear is usually what I call a little harder to drive. You know, I mean, I go ski, I ski a bunch. If you put me on Michaela Schierven skis, I would probably crash you know, have zero control, couldn't get in flex, don't ski at those speeds. And so like that performance side of things is really um it's usually aspirational emotionally but then unattainable physically, right? Like when you when you go out and use them. But something I think is awesome about our rods are they really open up the you know the user experience and make it a lot more enjoyable and you know, someone like yourself or, you know, anybody that's had some years experience with casting and they're gonna pick it up and they're gonna appreciate what it does. But then someone who's never casted before, and I see this all the time with like fly fishing one or one students, uh, they cast better. You know, they just feel the rod. It, the rod really is an extension of their arm and they, they start to just kinda like, Oh, yeah, I get it. Now I see and it's you know like that's a good loop, right? Oh, it turned over. And so Um, that's the fun part about those rods is they are technical tools that are very approachable.
1: Do you think rods have gotten like, uh, so there's like a, a, especially like in the mid two thousands there, it seemed like like rods just kept getting faster and faster, you know? And it's like, do you think that's continuing or do you think it's kind of, kind of reverting back to a little bit more, uh, like slower rods or do you think there's. Yeah, Any yeah I, think
2: what, I think that, no, you've kind of pointed out a really good observation, which was basically late 90s, early 2000s. You know, the, if you go back to even the 70s, it was like companies are just like, hey, we have a graphite rod, right? And then the 80s, new companies came on and are like, okay, we have a graphite rod too. And so you had a new competitive landscape in this new material, right? So you've left bamboo and glass and you're into carbon rods or carbon composite graphite rods and i think that the what i would call the speed race you know and like this gets a little geeky but everybody's like intermediate modulus gets replaced by high modulus material and just for the listeners you know that's that's a description of how stiff the actual individual strand of fibers are uh and you know building load or stiffness in a way that it's going to make the rod feel more powerful right and so i truly think there was like stage one which was how can we make a uh, a stiffer rod a faster rod and get higher line speed so that you can cast farther and that that sort of went as like a as a race to see who could get the fastest rod and what ended up happening was you know some really fantastic rods were made um during that era but it almost got to the point where you would go and buy a five weight, it would be so stiff you couldn't cast it with a five weight line on it. So then you would buy, you know, like a I wouldn't call it a cheater line, but you know, an overweighted line, you know, a power taper or um, you know, a, a a GPX from Scientific Angler this is another, you know, really at the time a really important line. And you and I would go out and fish and I would be like, Hey Darcy, check out my new awesome rod and you were like, Oh, cool, what is it? I was like, It's a five weight and then you would cast it, you know, you'd ask to cast it, you cast it, and you'd be like, Wow, this thing really throws line. And then and then we would turn and we'd be like, Hey, check out those olives that are getting sipped over there and you put on a size eighteen fly and you're like, you know, throwing so much line speed, you're really fishing with a six weight at that point. And I think anglers Sort of got past that. And I think the other thing that really plays out there was this trend to make things more tip flexed. And so, you know, you're really casting just off of the first like 20 to 30 inches of the rod from the tip down. And the rest of the rod was like beefy, you know, high line speed. You could carry 60 to 80 feet in the parking lot at the fly shop. But then when you got out and you're like, oh, geez, that fish is only. Forty feet away is a long shot, and I'm I i can not really control uh the power of this rod. So then you you know, you start kind of going backwards. And I think that we listen to the consumers and we listen to our guy community and ambassadors, and, and they're like, you know, hey, uh cool, but how about making a series of rods that's for finesse fishing and you know, and still has uh still has the capability to throw a long line, but really it's, it's keyed in on, you know, being super accurate at fishing distances for trout. And that's, that's about where we started to, to really solve the problem around the, the Helios 3 Fs or the finesse series, where it was more of that, you know, true rod weight and load to line weight and matching up where, you know, if you want to go out and you want to, you know, fish, uh, in a certain situation, you're going to have the best tool for that and that'd be the most accurate tool. But, you know, so I, I do think as an industry that's kind of pulled back a little bit, but we still have, you know, from a competitive landscape, there are still companies that are like, no, check it out. When you go to the fly shop, you can throw
1: 80 feet confidently. Yeah. and Well, so many ra- you know, raw and, decisions and, are made like in the, behind the, behind the fly shop, in the parking lot, or like if they happen to have a field or stretch of grass and like you'll, put three rods out or four, like these are the three rods I'm looking at. And then you just sit there. Like, I know I made these decisions in the past, not anymore, luckily, but, but in the past, you know, I'd stand there and I would cast, cast, cast. I'm like, Oh, that one went five feet farther than the other three. That's the right rod for me, you know? And like, you just, you just don't think about, you're really not very often trying to cast as far as you possibly can. You're just trying to get it to the right point.
2: Yeah. yeah. And I, I believe really, that's well said. And I think that the angling community is kind of keyed in on mm-hmm. that and said, we want a rod that's super accurate where we're going to be able to cast to and, 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 you know, and, and land fish. And if uh, you think like the 905 Helios 3D is an awesome boat rod or the nine five, five, the nine foot five inch five weight blackout, super awesome boat rod. And what it's really about is, you know, when you're running off of the bank with like, you know, uh, a small streamer or uh, a foam fly, you know, hopper or stone fly or something like that, or, or hopper dropper, you can really control those like, you know, a little bit longer distance, you know, and it might be 50 to 60 feet, right. Which is, which, uh, and you might have a little bit of wind. So the higher line speed helps there. And so that's where accuracy at distance or accuracy with finesse, you know, we kind of solve both of those problems uh, with two different rods instead of trying to make one rod and then use, uh, you know, an overweighted line or, or a standard line to, to compensate for what the rods, you know, I'd say how we boxed in those older rods, you know, and, and um, yeah, I totally hear it from consumers where they're like, you know, I really love this rod. And I mean, it's like, it does exactly what I want it to do, and I can fish it this way. And
1: don't you think you know, a good don't you think a I, good product is one that you don't think about? Like when you're out. Oh there? Oh yeah,
2: absolutely, absolutely. I mean, uh, no one wants to go out in waders that they're like mm, these are a little uncomfortable, or boots that are like you know I got to be careful where I step because I might lose traction, or you know my feet are getting fatigued. And then when you get start getting to the rods and the reels and stuff, and especially lines, I think, I think you know, you really just want that outfit that I call it basically a system. You want that system to disappear, you know. And so you're focused more on the experience and less on the trying to make this thing work, you know.
1: I, I always say that the the time I notice the most how nice my fly rod is is when I put it together at the car, you know. Like that's when I'm like. <laughs> that's why i'm like wow this is really nice and then but once i'm out there it's like i don't think about anything really i don't i i like i'm i'm just focused on the fishing right like i'm just focused on the fishing i'm focused on like what's hatching where we're gonna go all that kind of stuff that means and, you have a good rod yeah exactly yeah. so
3: um yeah I have a question for you. We, we were out with a friend and we had mentioned that we were going to have you on a pod on the podcast. And he's like, can you ask them why they got rid of the, I think it's called the fly keeper. It's like that little, um, spot where you the get hook, hook
2: keeper. Yeah. yeah. Hook
3: keeper. Yes. Um,
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, very inquisitive question. So here's, uh, here's the long answer to, uh, we still have hook keepers, right? That's a short answer. Um, so, strategically we would see a lot of tip damage and then you know like basically broken tips a couple inches back from the tip top and when you think about the system you got a nine foot rod you've got a nine or plus foot leader depending on you know if you're dry fly fishing technical with like a 12 to 15 foot leader or if you're just kind of generalist fishing uh with like a nine foot three x leader and the hook keeper was Uh, just in front of the cork, which was eight and a half feet on a nine footer away from the tip top. So whenever you would conveniently put your hook onto the hook keeper and move to the next spot, as soon as you got the next spot, you had to somehow finagle your leader to line connection, that loop to loop. And depending upon if you trimmed your knots on your, your perfection loop on your leader or not you typically would start to kind of like, okay, I'm gonna pull some line out. And every now and then that leader to loop connection would get caught in the tip top. And that literally that just, that kind of like, okay, I got to a new spot. Oh, look, there's a fish up. And now I got to fuss with this thing to get my line back out. Right. Uh, So I've got a design philosophy. That's pretty much if there's a problem that exists, like your kids are getting cookies out of the cookie jar in the kitchen the best way to solve it is to not put a lock on it because they'll figure that out, but just to re- eliminate the problem. So, you know, I just removed the hook keeper, like, you know, just tucked the cookie jar out of the kitchen. And, uh, and then we went to extra lengths of putting a curve radius of on or over real foot. And it's, it's like when people hear this next part, they're like, Oh, no way. You can basically put your hook on any of the stripping guides Or the snake guides and then run your leader behind the foot of the reel. And essentially when you get to your next spot and there's a fish up, you you know, your leader to line connection is out of the tip top. You just pull the line off the back of your reel and then like you can tap your rod and your fly falls down and you're ready to fish. And so it was really about one uh, performance efficiency, moving from spot to spot. And then two about protecting the rod and keeping that, that kind of awkward, and I think you guys will probably know what I'm talking about right. We're dancing around, like trying to wiggle your rod and then pull on the line and yeah. make it bounce through the tip top or whatever. So, yeah, if you're lucky enough, totally to have someone,
1: if you're lucky enough to have someone there to pull out the line for you out of the end, right? Yeah, exactly. But I can honestly yeah. say yeah. that I have put the I've I've tested this, uh, the the uh, the how well it can handle ripping that leader out of the top you know like when you're just like i gotta get and you know you become impatient and you're like oh yeah
3: i think this is something as a novice angler you end up doing um without even knowing well i did i was like just kind of forced the tip through like the line and the leader where it connects through the tip and broke my tip off and Darcy's like well that's because you but i didn't know
1: (laughs) yeah so when you first start yeah, yeah yeah
2: Yeah. And so, I mean, like literally, uh, I've had a lot, I mean, I had that question a lot of times and like, there's like a joke answer. If I know somebody, I'm like, well, you know, we removed the hook keeper, but we also have 12 conveniently located hook keepers <laughs> yeah. up and down the blank, you know? <laughs> yeah. And, and don't even get me started. Like when you're fishing indicator, you know, you're used to putting your line on the hook keeper and then you got this big, you know, sag nine foot or 10 foot leader, Because you can't put the indicator through the tip top. So you're like, uh, and it was more of a, this is just going to work better for everybody. And it really came, it was inspired by saltwater angling and, you know, saltwater fly rods have not had hook keepers on them for, you know, decades, right? Uh, So it was just taking those best practices there based on durability of the rod and, you know, quicker to, to unload, you know, you're, you're running on a flat or not on the flat, but you're running up to a flat and you see like, Oh, look, there's three permit guides jumping up to get on the pulling platform to get you in location. And you're like, okay, I got to grab my rod. And then I've got to do this other thing. You're shuffling around. You really want to get, you know, 60 feet of line on the deck and have that fly in your hand ready to go as soon as you get position. you know, cause things happen a lot faster. So it's, it's, there's a, that's a really good question, um, and I hope that's a good answer. No, it's a perfect answer. Buddy. It's the
1: perfect answer. I got, I got another question for you because, like, I know, yep, people like to give the helos a hard time for it. How come you made it white? The the, Ooh. the, the, the um the section, like right, the bottom section, there. bottom
2: section. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the let's we'll call it the like rod logo area or label area. So. Um, you know, I had to go back a little bit and i'm I'm sitting in my office thinking about Helios three and branding, and I kind of was taking notes in my my little notepad, and I'm like, you know you can't like literally you can't just have this i mean it's the best fly rod we've ever made right and and I'm biased, but I'd say it was the you know the best fly rod, and probably still is today best rod series on the market and and I really was thinking about like you can't really just put like you know this small subtle branding on it and I, i part of me wanted to like shake it up a little bit and create this new landscape for orvis branding uh part of me was like you know this is a formula one car now and a formula one car is not offered in you know uh, beige with, you know, gold trim. <laughs> yeah. uh, Formula One car is like I'm ready. I'm I'm here to do business. This is a performance machine, and so I started started thinking about it that way. And literally, the high contrast. Once I started playing with, uh, you know, developing this this landscape in front of the cork, and started playing with high contrast. It was just one of those things where it's like, you know what? people are probably going to talk and some people are going to hate it. Some people are going to love it. Some people are going to be like, I don't really care. It's a sweet rod. Um, and so that was, that was really where my head was. And, you know, and I was probably heavily influenced at the time by like, you know, mountain bikes and skis and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. And so thinking about like those, there's a place and a time for, uh, for a, a heritage look, but this isn't a heritage rod you know i kind of wrote that down and it's like all right cool um and then you know we've done things like the blackout since then where that wouldn't have been achievable you know having kind of a graphic element you know uh, of art there that that um just wouldn't have been possible before so there was a lot of different factors that came into that. But I mean, I, I've, I've heard it all. I've heard like, you know, oh, it's so cool. I love it. it. It makes me feel more confident. Like I've got this performance piece of equipment. And then I've heard a lot of people are like, that's the ugliest rod I've ever <laughs> seen in my life. I don't, have yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know I, I yeah, have whose idea that was they they're terrible you yeah. know I <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. With me. Yeah. anything <laughs>
1: anytime you anytime you break the mold that's always going to happen right you know you're always going to get those people yeah. that don't that really love it and that don't like it at all i, I from from my personal standpoint we love it i love it and one of the main reasons why i like it is because i take photographs a lot and you know, or in different circumstances, I put my rod down on all the time. Like I always put my rod down, like I leaned up against a tree or leaned it up on the bushes or for whatever reason. And like I can look back and see it like a lot faster. Like I have a tendency to not step on my rod as much as well. So it like it sticks out. Yeah. And and the second thing is 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 I know when I'm like, you know, maybe this is a little too warfare ish, but when I when I'm on the river, when I see somebody else fishing it I'm like oh they're friendly you know what I mean I'm like oh they're an, or- an Orvis <laughs> fan so so I can point out the people that uh yeah that are friendlies on the river as well yeah
2: see I'm a little naive I, I like to approach everybody who's fishing as
1: friendly but <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, you know I, what I, I mean <laughs> though like I got one they, they they're they're <laughs> you know they're one
2: and, uh, part of your. and I mean I think that's like a cultural aspect that and I, I look at it like this, right? Like I drive a uh, Tacoma and, you know, you drive them down the road and like you get the wave right? Yeah. You know, like somebody's like, Hey, you know, that's a like-minded person. They like Tacomas too, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. You know, if, if you drive a Jeep, they'll pull over and hug you and ask you if you want to go off-roading or something like that. But, you know, it's like, that's, that's part of that sort of, you uh, you know, social identification of like-minded people and i think that's that's really important and then the other the other thing i'd say is there's always a product adoption period um and going back to the tacoma or the tundra whenever any new car comes out people are like oh i love it i hate it they either want a reason to buy it or a reason to not be engaged and you know they're they'll go on the internet and like oh they ruined it look it looks like a robot yeah yeah, but then you it's quickly that like you know well so does everybody want to drive a 92 Ford tourists that you know no <laughs> you know so oh. so like having a little personality is always a good thing and then just knowing that it takes a little bit of time for people to to adopt that change you know especially when it's a you know a huge step um mm-hmm. uh, for sure and and it, it's a, it's a fun one. I mean, we could have a whole podcast just being like, how many people told you that you suck? Yeah.
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, exactly. Yeah. you, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so what, uh, what are you guys most excited about? Like, you know, you're always, you're always developing stuff there. Like, what are you most excited about? Like
3: coming down the pipe?
1: Yeah. Coming down the line. Yeah.
2: Coming down the pipe. Well, so I would say that – well, geez, that's
1: a a long – that's a hard one because – Fishing-wise.
2: Probably – yeah, fishing-wise, sure, we'll focus in there. So I really think that uh, Orvis has done a good job kind of stepping up their technical apparel. And what I would say is like our pro fishing line, you know, the the products like the insulated hoodie, the new HD insulated hoodie – the LT, just seeing like, seeing the customer's response to thanks for taking the time and solving this problem for me in a way that, you know, really improves my day on the water, whether it's through keeping me warm, dry, cool for like the pro sun stuff. Um, but I think taking that, like I was, I was super excited about doing those, those collections with the team because it was really taking an approach to clothing as product. And and you said it earlier, like, you know, a great rod just disappears. Well, it's like a great jacket does everything that you need it to do, keeps you dry, warm, whatever, um, organized and does it in a way that's not constricting your your movement in your day. And so, like, it just disappears and, you know, fighting your clothes and, you know, was, uh, when you're out there, it's just like one more thing to think about. And I think you've probably been here before, but if you're fishing and every time you make a cast, you have to like do a little shoulder wiggle to reset your jacket. um, That gets old. Right. Mm -hmm. So I really, I'm, I'm loving this, you know, the fact that our customers really were into the pro insulated hoodie and, and that they gave us the confidence to solve for colder climates with the HD, which is, like twice insulation got extra hand warm pockets and stuff like that above the waders. And then also to, you know, we also didn't stop there, but we went and we filled out the line with the LT or the lightweight one, which is half the insulation. So, you know, just like temperature management, uh, temperature control, I guess, if you will, um, was pretty fun there. And, you know, and then get into the hard goods guys, the, the, I mean, there's a lot, um, the new blackout rods are awesome. Those were, those were really part of that. As soon as we launched H3, we were thinking advanced concepts and we were playing around with different taper strategies and started asking ourselves, like, I wonder if we can make a rod that has the, the mending capability of a 10 footer, but has a swing weight of a nine footer. So you really can go out and fish it and you don't, you don't have that, like, oh, this is a 10-foot rod, and I can tell. Um, and then, you know, you get the enhancements, the performance enhancements of that. And then that led to the 9-foot-5-inch 5-weight, which was really what's the ultimate boat rod and um, for trout fishing. And and we were so excited about it. I mean, we were you know, kind of, I wouldn't say playing around. We were developing those those three rods, and then we got to a point where, like, these are really sweet. And we're going to launch them now. Like, let's not even wait for, you know, a product intro or whatever. It's just, let's just go and seeing the, the level of support at Orvis, you know, from the design standpoint where it's like, you can take those risks and, uh, you know, remain passionately curious and solve problems. And then as soon as you got something, it's like, yep, it's right. You know, through field testing, it's ready to go.
1: Let's, let's go, you know, let's not wait. I casted that for Uh, the first time two weeks ago, we went up and fished um, at f- this place called Fortress Lake. It's a brook trout lake. And and uh, I fished it from shore with like a sink tip, with like a little partial kind of yep. gradient sink tip. And it was like, Timber is actually like, oh, I got to take some pictures of you casting. You're just like crushing, like your casts are just perfect. I'm like, it's like the combination of the two. It's like that extra six inches. Like it just makes it, you could just, you just bomb that thing out there. And like when you're on a lake, like it's kind of like, I know you, I think you developed it for the boat, but that aspect of it, we used it. Like I used it, the, whole, the we were up there for three days. They happened to have one up there and I just, it was a great rod. It worked perfect for that aspect as well. Yeah.
3: Um, I, yeah. I,
1: I'd say another one. Go okay.
3: ahead, Timber. Oh, I, I was just actually going to change the subject a little bit about I wanted to kind of take it to, to bags. I find like uh, a fishing bag is a huge part of my day and, you know, the bug out bag has just been an amazing piece of equipment for me. Um, And I know, so I I use the net holder a lot. Um, You know, can you tell us just kind of a bit about like the different innovations in the new bag
2: system? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So the, so all credit goes to Jesse Howler. He's on the product team a senior product developer. And, and, you know, I, we had good bags. I mean, we, you know, like we've had historical innovation moments where, you know, we, I don't know if, if you guys are familiar or not, but sling, sling packs was an Orbis first. Um, And so we had like this really good foundation, but everything it always they always kind of fell a little bit short from like an organization standpoint or innovation standpoint you know and you ended up with like where do i put my net? you know i don't want to hang it off the back of my sling pack and have it swinging around all day um where do i put my tippet same thing i don't want to just like clip it on and have it rattling around back there and jesse approached that whole the whole line the whole collection with uh i mean just just perfectly you know you just sort of sit down and said okay here are all the problems that i want to try to solve and then strategically just went through and the bug out bag is a great example it's like i don't even know if our consumers have figured it out yet but you can take your right arm off and spin it around like a sling pack and get into the side access to like pull fly box out you know uh it's got the net holder that you know we call it uh the fat lip but it's just like this intuitive place where my net goes here and it's it's sort of disappears because it's well organized organized until you need it and then it's there um on the packs the we call it the tippet with it internally that's kind of our our nomenclature for it but just having that molded piece that's recessed into the bag on the corner where when you spin the bag around whether it's a hip or a sling Boom. It's like right there where you need it. You know, you don't have to like hold with one hand, the tip, spool, figure out which one pull off, you know, what, whatever length you need. It's sort of more of a station at that point where, you know, you can pull your fly box out, get your flag set up on deck. And then, you know, if you need to change your leader out, you know, you've got tip it right there. And I think all those, all those pieces really came out uh, awesome. I mean, it was just like, they make fishing a little more enjoyable because you're, again, here's the theme. You're not thinking about, like, this thing that's on my back or on my waist or whatever. So um, he did a great job there. there like a, there's, honestly know, a,
3: there's honestly a place for everything there. There's, like, a spot for your sunglasses. There's, like, a little thing where you can clip your keys inside the internal pouch. I I think it's, like, the perfect yeah. place. That's my yeah. opinion. I've been using it for...
1: Well, we tested it yeah, originally. I, we tested it yeah. originally. Yeah. So
3: I've been using it longer than most people. Yeah. We period. still have
1: the, actually the, the, what it usually ends up, we're lucky enough to get to test the stuff for you guys. And we end up using like the prototype. And then we just continue to use the prototype after the original one comes out. <laughs> yeah. I even had a pair of boots <laughs> that said prototype on the side of it for a bit there. Yeah. Um <laughs> yeah.
3: actually, Darcy had a pair of boots where one was looked different than the other because they wanted us to you guys wanted us to test out the two different kind of patterns and styles of the boot so he was sent a pair with two different uh the
1: insides were the same, but the outsides uh, were different yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. so I wa- I yeah. for, for for a full year I walked or actually for longer I think I walked around for with two different two different looking boots on yeah worked good. I never thought about it the whole time.
2: <laughs> Typically, when I go fishing, it's much like what you guys are talking about. Uh, uh, everything I have on or some form of a prototype of something, you know, like the new bag, new waders, new boots, new rod, reel, whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I always I'm always like, man, I'm a pretty poor representation for like what Orvis has to offer because. You know, you get people who are like, "Oh, what rod are you fishing?" And there's not even a label on it. You know, <laughs> like, I'm like, "Oh, it's the fly rod. I built it myself." <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I didn't. I didn't. But you know, those are always fun conversations. I I love. I mean, it's like one of the the one of my favorite things. Like you're on the water, you come across a person they might have an Orvis rod or a pack or whatever, and you, know, you strike a start conversation up. And it's usually, I don't lead in with like, oh, hey, how you doing? I work for Orvis. So just, you know, hey, how, what do you think about that rod? You know, and then they'll just turn and light up and like sell you on it. And it's such a good feeling just to hear that. Or they turn and, you know, they're like, yeah, it's cool, but it's this one thing I'm trying to get it to do and I'm kind of struggling with it. And so those are good insight collection moments too for like, you know, just,
1: Future continuous improvement, but always fun. Yeah, we usually, we do do the same thing if we see people out there or if I'm testing something and like we fish with different people and, you know, I always try to like, here, try this. You know what I mean? Put this backpack on, try this. You know, what do you think of these boots? Like, what do these pants look like? You know, cast this rod kind of thing, you know, because it's like as much as, you know, everybody has their own experiences when it comes to definitely, when it comes to gear. But,
3: I, I have another question. Yeah, um, I heard a rumor. We can cut this out if it's not appropriate. Is there a new uh, fishing net coming down the pipe at all?
2: There, there is. Uh, they'll be in stock. I think. Hopefully by Christmas, we'll see. Um, but yeah, there's a super cool net series that Jesse uh, worked on, and the the. The kind of spoiler alert there is that, uh, again, a good theme is he sort of sit down and as the user, he's like, what do I not like about nets that I have now? And it was like, well, you know, the bag always kind of, you know, gets UV, it you know, faded and then it'll get weak and it might break and I might have to zip tie it back up. Um, the bags are heavy. And then he started looking at, you know, says so like, okay, I need to solve for, a lighter bag that uh, has more volume as well. I mean, he, he, I love it. He calls it fish tacos. Like if you take a mid-length net now and throw a decent-sized fish in, and it's like usually like really hard to get the fish to to what I'd say calm down. You know, like to, to not be like I got to get out of here because it's like bent in a U, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, these are the types of fish Jesse catches. By the way, I don't really have this problem, <laughs> yeah. but um, you know, so about like just generally speaking, like the, these new bags, they have what I would call more habitat in the bag itself. Uh, you know, straighter walls, less taper, a flat bottom, a little bit deeper, uh, but they're not heavier, right? And, um, and then, you know, it's just that alone. I'm like, this is awesome. I love where you're going, Jess. Like, you know, what else? And he's like, well, I also want to change the the bow size, you know, the actual shape of the net, uh so that you know from like a shoal cut standpoint you know you can get under fish in shallow water and scoop them without having to try to do the like the what i call like the j sweeping bill where you get its head kind of in there and you got to scoop around the body it's like no i can slide underneath flat so the to describe the net on on the phone is a little tough but it's it's just more usable surface area on that bow shape um and i think
1: if you guys you guys have played with them, right i we haven't seen the net it's the one, it's, Oh
2: my goodness well well yeah. now I'm definitely gonna have to send you one
1: yeah, sure. um
2: they've been a little bit they've been a little bit hard to come by through development um because you know it's a new category for us, and we definitely you know kept them a little bit under the radar but um but you know the word's out now, and uh i'll I'll send one up to you. They're super cool. There's a, you know, a a mid length one that's, uh, you know, got a lot of surface area to scoop fish. And then I think once you see it and, you know, once the listeners see it, you really get the understanding of Jesse wanted to create this like habitat for proper fish handling, you know, and and it's like, that's like having it where the fish is not in distress and it's got like on an aquarium if you will you know where you can keep it in the water um and and really just working with the the volume of the net itself so you're not doing that sort of folding and putting it in these funky contours to to pull a hook out or something like mm-hmm. that and then let it swim off so we we are really they're really design.
1: we actually we did some people that listen to the podcast have heard me say this before but i'll mention it again anyways but um we did some bull trout tagging, uh, with the fish biologists in the province here, and their their big his kind of attitude towards once we would catch the bull trout is is we before we would do any tagging and stuff like that we he would let the fish calm down, and he would use these giant laundry bags, right? So you'd catch the fish, net the fish, and then he would put the like he'd find a current like a little uh, a stretch of moving water there and he'd take the bull trout and he'd place it in the laundry bag and then underneath the water. So like it had enough yeah. space where it wasn't like contorted, just like you were saying before, and it didn't feel stressed out. And he'd wait because, you know, he'd be like, you know, there's so much there's, they're under so much stress when you're, when you actually bring them in to try to handle them right away becomes extremely difficult, right? Like water temperatures were okay and everything like that. So it wasn't, it wasn't crucial to release them right away, but, but yeah, just having that extra space sounds like the perfect scenario for as, as far as like uh good fish handling and, and the, just recently they put Hoot Owl in here and, and we didn't have Hoot Owl before and, and I was having a discussion with one of the shop owners here and I was like, you know, I kind of feel like um, two things should be mandatory for fishermen. You know, I think we know more about fish handling and all that kind of stuff and the two things that should be mandatory is like every fisherman must have two things. One of them is a is a net, right, for good fish handling and another is a thermometer, right? Like those two things is like... Yeah. You know, and I, I, there has happened to be an older gentleman in there, and he's like, "I don't need a net in there." He's like, "I just grab the hook and stuff like that." And I'm like, "You know, that's fantastic," but not everybody is are is you, right? So I think kind of,
3: and it's actually better to let them calm down in the net for a minute
2: first.
1: Yeah, before you start handling yeah. them. Yeah, for sure. Yep. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I, I. Uh... I'm a firm believer, and this this you know gets a little and maybe starts to delve into a different area of topic, but you know I look at our ability to catch fish i mean you know at the end of the day uh you're you're interacting with nature in a really special way and and just being good stewards and you know thinking about the fish not being selfish and being like you know like, oh, well, you know, I deserve to catch this fish. It's more like I'm grateful that I have the opportunity to interact in a way. And then just kind of creating those moments and uh, in a responsible way, I think is really important. And just, you know, I mean, it's kind of that, why did we in the 70s start doing catch and release practices? You know, well, it's for conservation. And and not to get too judgy, but it's just, uh, I mean, I've even seen it in my own own like you know uh i don't know if i call it maturity or just growth but you know i I used to like every fish i mean i was like oh you know not every fish but any fish that i was like "Ah, that's a really cool fish like i want to hold it up and you know and you know take a picture with it and i'm way 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 less there now it's more of just like you know i'll snap a pic that's a release shot or something like that at, at water and because I do want to relive those moments, you know, or one day go back and be like, Oh, that was really cool. But, but, um, I think that really respecting that moment is, is important. And then, and I don't know that it's like on everybody's mind, you know, that, I mean, you're, you kind of go out and you're like, I just want to catch a fish. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then when you do, you're like, oh, I just want to make sure everybody knows that I did this, that I achieved something yeah. and, and you're not thinking about you know from the fish's perspective right you're just like oh here's a resource and that was fun Mm -hmm. but um yeah i think every bit helps and if you create a product that that sort of uh inherently intrinsically um you know helps helps kind of foster that proper handling during that that those few moments of interacting with the fish then i think that's that's just that much better it's going in the right direction
3: couldn't agree more um, I have a question for you. So, uh, my observation has been that, uh, Orvis has seemed to expand the wing shooting lineup a little bit. Uh, do you want to tell us a bit about that or am I correct that they're expanding it a bit more?
2: Oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, wing shooting has always been core of the brand and I would say wing shooting is having a moment now. Uh, from user interest, you know, from participation standpoint that, uh, that is sort of changing and it's changed our philosophy and outlook. And, you know, 20 years ago, you would, I mean, I grew up, like I said, I grew up in a hunting and fishing store uh, that my dad and mom ran in Kentucky. And, you know, as a kid, we would go uh, to Kansas to pheasant hunt or whatever. And, you know, you wore, you, you know, you'd wear, cotton and you know down jackets and stuff like that and and i think wing shooting was has been later you know uplands upland hunting particular has been kind of late to adopt um newer technology and fabrics and fabrication and so um there was i'd say eight or nine years ago there was a, a strategic effort to sort of modernize the construction techniques and fabric selection in our line. And, and then we, you know, customers were like, sweet, you guys like these soft shell pants, These are awesome. They provide the protection I need. They're also super comfortable. Um, you know, they regulate my heat and sweat really well. And, and so as we started to see the consumers react to it in that way, we, you know, we're like, cool, we're going to double down. And, and uh, we've been sort of slowly, rebuilding the line with, uh, stuff like the tough shell system, the soft shell pants, the pro LT hoodies, you know, the soft shell lightweight hoodies, um, pro LT pants. I mean, just some really fantastic pieces of gear that, uh, that I think the customer really is appreciated and they're just, you know, they're like their go-to pieces and, and it's a really, I'd say it's an underserved market, um, specifically because, you know wing shooting or upland hunting you know from uh when you look at all hunting upland hunting is probably more akin to fly fishing you know to conventional fishing and so it's the same thing where is it getting the attention and and we've seen participation grow um you know the consumers are getting i'd say not just younger but you know they're they're definitely there's more interest um in that in that sort of what I'd say filled the table uh you know harvest your own protein and and just the, the awareness of of what it is as a activity is, is really grown. So so we um yeah we've we've been kind of going that direction and and it's awesome to put apply the process and the filters that we use for fishing to the upland deer and and you know not just like oh yeah, this is a jacket and it's got blaze on it but like here's a jacket and it's got you know a zero snag you know mount swing you know through the construction of it and so you know it, the articulation is such that it doesn't bind whenever you mount a shotgun or something like that and it's comfortable and it works everything's where it needs to be Uh so it's been really fun and i think you'll continue to see us um you know, in the future seasons to come continue to see us to kind of push, push our, you know, envelope or push the envelope on innovation and and kind of re re reimagining what that collection of product looks like. It's been super exciting.
1: Um, I, we have, I have one more thing to ask you before, before I let you go, Sean. So, um, when's the Helios four coming out?
2: (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. Uh, <laughs> that's a really good question. Uh, you know, honestly, uh, honest answer there is soon. Uh, you know, so well. I don't know Ish. about soon. Soon's relative, right. Soon. Um, you know, I mean, you know, we we like I said before, as soon as we stole our first Helios three, we were probably thinking about Helios. Four, and I don't even know if it'd be Helios 4, but like, you know, how do we make it better? Right. And then what would we do to make it better? And uh, every time that I go to, in, you know, in April, I go to the Orbis Guide Rendezvous and, and I'm surrounded by, you know, some of the best users, uh, the, the guide community of our product and, and people who, you know, their job depends upon like the, the client's day depends upon how well our gear works. And it's, it's a little bit like uplifting when they're like, you know, Hey, the Helios three is such a great ride. Like, don't ever change it. It's perfect. How would you make it better anyway? You know? And then I just, I usually like flip the table and I'm like, well, how would you make it better? Like, what does it not do, uh, you know, well enough or whatever. And we, we've been, we've been sort of steady working in advanced concepts, uh, for three or four years. And when it's ready, it'll be ready. But right now, I mean, Helios 3 is crushing it. It's, a, it's almost like the perfect tool. And, uh, you know, we, we, I think we've seen just as much success in its fourth year this year than in its first year, you know, which is, which is awesome. It's still a program that's growing. You know, where a lot, of, a lot of companies would say, well, you know, we'll put something new out. Uh, we'll get a big splash a lot of people will be interested the the fans will adopt early and then you know if it's a decent product then it'll have word of mouth spread and and other people will buy in on the program um and then it'll kind of peter you know and it'll be like okay it's time for something new uh we're just we don't have we haven't experienced that with helios 3 and so we're not in a rush uh so it's not like you know santa or whatever is not going to be like here's helios four but but um but at the same time you know if you saw me out fishing i'd probably be fishing with something that didn't have a label on it so yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's a that's a pretty like dodgy
2: answer right yeah, yeah. i was gonna say I, the,
1: I, I already knew what i was gonna say when you're done there I was like well if you know the rod design doesn't work out like politics is always a good option for you because you did a really good yeah, job right. you really good job in diverting answering the actual question that i did ask you so that's perfect yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> answer it was not an answer, <laughs> answer no an there's there's uh there's a lot on the table right now i mean New to this fall, there's uh, the new CFO, which was just celebrated 50 years. Made in USA. Super cool trout reel. Perfect with the uh, perfect to pair with the new Superfine Glass Series, which you know, whether it's a small stream three or two weight or or like you want to go, you know, catch redfish or carp with uh, you know, the six or eight weight. That's those are awesome rods. They just came out. Um, there's gosh there's a ton of stuff uh you know we did mission two-handed rods from trout spay up to full spay and uh we've got a new reel called the ssr which is uh you know perfect for two-handed work and there's a question for you do you have any idea what ssr means
1: no no idea
2: all right so there's another one of those every now and then i get to like have fun it's swing step repeat
1: oh nice yeah, yeah yeah so great yeah. great idea like
2: good good luck explaining that to everybody <laughs> but it's one of those you know like it's a it's a handshake what's up to the customer you yeah. know if they get it they get it yeah if they don't get it when they get it they get it, you know um it's it's fun fun Wait, is stuff
1: it, does it is yeah it like uh is it like click bar or like does it have a drag system in it
2: no got a it's got a drag system like the hydros which is just a workhorse of a drag system mm-hmm. and it's a full cage vented back vented spool um and the cool part about it is we offer it in three sizes we used to only offer like our two-handed dedicated reels and only two sizes and now we've got three which basically the size three is perfect for like the three four and five trout spay it's mm-hmm. it's balanced you know, where when you're swinging, you can pretty much just hold your cork. Your rod's perfect balance where you're not tip high or or tip down the water where you're trying to, you know, you're working to keep your rod out of the water. Um, you know, and then the other two sizes work perfectly for like, you know, what I would call full spay, seven and eight weights and then nine and ten weights.
1: Trout space becomes such a, well, you see more and more people doing it, especially around here because the bow is like one of the last rivers that kind of it's one of the few rivers in the province here that stays open all year long. And it's such a, like, I know a few guys that just love to do it all winter long, right? Like it's just, it works. It's kind of a perfect, perfect. You could do it all year long, but it's kind of a perfect way to catch trout in the wintertime, you know?
2: Yeah, no, well, it's, it's great because, you know, whenever things get colder, fish are still eating. Right. I mean, like when I was a kid, I used to think like, Oh, they just, they just all go like hibernate, they're still eating. They're just, uh, they're just a little slower. So it's a good tool to cover water and, you know, it's active. Um, the cast is so much fun, but then also, um, it's also a great tool like pre-hatch to fish like riffles, you know, I mean, um, yeah, like swinging sock tackles on a three weight is, just as about as much fun you can have trout fishing as anything um, you know and and it and it opens up water in a way that you know it used to just be focused on bank feeders and a tell out you know or, or a spinner fall or something like that, and you're like, well, I'm not going to fish until this certain time, and then I've only got forty five minutes while the hatch is really going and now now I take two rods and I might fish pre-hatch and swing soft tackles and then, and then fish a hatch with a single-hander, you know? So a lot of fun.
1: A a a friend of ours, really good friend of ours. He fishes soft tackles to trout here on the, on the bow. And I just know he just like with the two handed trout spay and he's, I know he catches, you know, way more fish, way more fish than most people on the river. Like, He's like, you know, you you think that they're actually breaking the surface, but they're just kind of rolling up and you're just kind of catching their back. And he's fishing those soft tackles and he's like, I get it's like I get everyone. Every he's like, if I see it rise, I swing that soft tackle in there. He's like, they'll take it every time. Yeah. So it really increases your numbers.
2: what I would call like a, you know, drawing dung duns or whatever, like they're floating down on top, like for every fish, you know, unless you're like on the Missouri river, there's a pot of fish and they're just, they're just going and dimpling. Uh, there's equal numbers of eats that are just subsurface, you know, and, and you'll drive yourself mad, you know, fishing a single hand rod with a super buoyant fly and a hatch whenever you're like, I know it's there, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. it, it, it's just, you know, all, it's eating emergers. Well, it's like, cool, we'll swing it, you know? And, yeah. um, it's a lot of fun. great way to cover water. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. All right, Sean, thank you so much.
2: Yeah. Thank you. It was fun. Thanks for, uh, thanks for having me on the podcast and, uh, yeah, I look forward to getting out on the water with you guys.
1: Yeah, next time, next time we'll do this in person. We'll bring you up here and and do this in person next time. Sounds perfect. We could have a whole podcast just on the white label. Yeah, there you yeah, yeah. yeah. go.
3: <laughs> All right. Enjoy the rest of your afternoon.
1: <laughs> okay. Take care, guys. Thanks. Thanks. Bye.
0: Thanks for listening to the podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a review and subscribe to the channel. And don't forget to tune in again next week. Thanks again for listening.